All right, well, tough topics. The tough topic that I was asked to preach about this morning is unanswered prayer. Unanswered prayer. Now, the whole concept of unanswered prayer implies that we have asked God for something and that we didn't get it. And so we feel like our prayers went unanswered. I know that clever people like to remind us that all prayers are answered, but sometimes the answer is no. What I don't know is anyone who's ever been comforted or built up in their faith by that explanation. It can be painful. It can be confusing. It can be lonely to cry out to God for something, to feel like this request surely is in line with God's will, and then to feel as though God is completely indifferent to your prayers. We know, for sure, we know that the problem is not that God's not able to answer our prayers, not powerful enough. We know that's not the problem. Whether, whether those are our prayers, maybe prayers for health, for yourself, or for someone you love. Maybe those are prayers for peace in Ukraine or Sudan or other places in the world where there's war and unrest and oppression. Maybe prayers for salvation for a family member or for a friend. Or maybe a simple prayer for explanation. You know, the prayer that goes like, God, why? All right, I get it that this is happening to me. I get it that bad things happen in a fallen world. But Lord, why are you allowing this to happen to me now? A prayer for an answer. So if God is able to do these things that we ask, if it's within his powers to answer these prayers, then why doesn't he? Typically when people talk about unanswered prayers, that's what they mean. They mean that they prayed earnestly for something, that they had every reason to believe that this prayer was in line with God's will, and yet there doesn't appear to be any response from God. It goes unanswered. Well, my very short answer to that particular question, which is what the person who requested this sermon was asking, my very short answer is this, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that's it. That's my answer is I don't know. We could, I thought, I had the thought, well, I could go to Isaiah 55. Even if you don't know that address, we all know this passage of Isaiah 55. We'll go there and be reminded that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways, but his ways are higher than our ways. That's Isaiah 55. That's definitely true. I could now then give my illustration about babies in car seats. I'm sure you've heard it, where babies don't really know what's best for them, and they can't understand an explanation, uh, even if they got it, so they just need to sit there and trust there's truth to those explanations. Those things are true. It's good to be reminded of the limits of our understanding. It's good to be reminded of the importance of trusting God even when we don't know what He's up to, which, which happens a lot. But I want to frame this discussion about unanswered prayer this morning in a slightly different way. Instead of thinking about prayer as making requests to God, whether that's asking for answers or asking for health or asking for rain or asking for material things, all of which are appropriate to pray for, of course. But instead, I want to talk this morning about prayer as a relationship. Prayer as an essential component to knowing God and to deepening your walk with Him, deepening your relationship and fellowship with 
with him. Because when we think about prayer in those terms as a relational activity whereby we are deepening our fellowship with God, if that's what prayer is about, that puts a different perspective on the issue of unanswered prayer. If one of the primary purposes of prayer is that through our prayer we draw near to God. Through our prayer we are declaring our dependence on God, expressing our love for God and deepening our relationship with God, then there really is no such thing as unanswered prayer. Because the very act of prayer has the effect of drawing us near to God. So our doorway into the topic of prayer as relationship is possibly the best known, um, best loved chapter in the whole entire Bible. Uh, It's Psalm 23. Whenever I think of Psalm 23, I think of an experience I had in a hospital in Milwaukee. I was visiting a young woman, uh, she's my age, and uh, she was dying. And at this point in her sickness, she was non-communicative, just laying there, uh, but her mother was there in the room with her. And so I said to the mom, I said, would you like me to read a scripture passage with you? She said, yes. I said, is there any passage you'd like me to read? She said, no. I said, all right, well then I'll read Psalm 23. She said, good. I said, why is that good? She said, well, the hospital chaplain came in here just a little while ago, and he read that same chapter, but he was a Jewish rabbi, and he read it in Hebrew, and I didn't understand it. (laughs) It's a true story. I thought to myself when I heard that, I mean, that's not an appropriate context to laugh out loud, but I thought to myself how ironic that was. God recorded these words of Scripture, His words, so that we could hear them and understand them and be comforted by them and draw near to Him through them. But when we hear it in a language we don't understand, it's just noise. It's just sounds. It just bounces off of us and doesn't penetrate into us. Same thing with prayer. God gave us the gift of prayer so that we could deepen and cultivate our relationship with Him. Prayer is a relational gift. And when we turn prayer primarily into a means by which we get things from God, we miss the point. And we miss the blessing of prayer and it just bounces off of us instead of shaping us and changing us. So I read Psalm 23 that day in that room and I prayed for that young woman and literally within about 10 minutes of reading that and praying for her, she peacefully passed away. And followed the good shepherd into those green pastures. Now, was that an example of unanswered prayer? Um, Kind of. I mean, we had previously been praying that this woman would recover. And she did not. She passed away. As I said before, I don't know why sometimes we pray for healing and healing doesn't come. I don't know the answer to that question. But ultimately... Our prayer was that God would draw near to this woman and that he would make his presence known to her and that he would hold her tightly and walk with her through the valley of the shadow of death. And he definitely answered that prayer. He definitely did that. So I invite you to turn there now in Psalm 23. And as you hear these familiar words again this morning, I want you to try to pay particular attention to the relationship between the psalmist and the Lord. It's a relational psalm, 
And I want you to look at the relationship between the psalmist and the Lord. Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still, quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray and ask for his help. Holy Father, we thank you for the gift of prayer. We thank you that you are a relational God who communicates and relates to your people. We recognize that when there is a relationship, by definition, it is two ways, and it takes work. And so I pray as we think about prayer, and as we think about our relationship with you, that you would draw near to us, and that you would impress upon our hearts what a blessing, what a gift it is that we can call you Father, and come into your throne room and address you as both our King and our Father. I pray for everyone who can hear my voice right now, wherever they are, myself included, that the fruit of this sermon and the fruit of this psalm, as we read it and think about it, would be a deeper walk, deeper fellowship with you. I pray that for every one of us. In Christ's name, amen. All right, I want you to answer honestly in your own heart And the question is, do you have that kind of intimate relationship with the Lord as is described in Psalm 23? Now, I know many people here do. I feel like if I answered that question honestly, what I would say is that sometimes I feel like I do, and sometimes I feel like I don't. And if you ask me to try to put my finger on why why I feel intimacy deep fellowship and intimacy with the Lord sometimes, but I don't feel it at other times, my response would be that what I have observed in my own life is that that is directly related to my prayer life. Directly. There's a direct correlation. right? I experience a depth of intimacy in my walk with the Lord when I make prayer a priority in my life, and I don't when I don't. That is a fact of my spiritual life. Here's an analogy to think about. Think back to a particular busy time in your life. And for many of you, you're thinking, well, that's right now. And I I get it. This is a busy time of year. For many people in the room, this is the busiest time of year. And many families are in a particular busy season of life right now with young kids who are doing all kinds of activities, and it's just busy. When I think about my busiest season of life, I think back to a time when we had just planted an inner city church on the south side of Milwaukee. We had two small kids and we had a third on the way. 
And I was in, in the spare moments of time that I had, I was trying to finish up my PhD. Marco and I, during that time, barely had time to catch our breath, let alone sit down and have a conversation. But one thing I did during that season of life was I moved a desk into our bedroom right next to my side of the bed so that if ever I got a spare minute at home, I could just get up and go to my desk and work on uh, some work I was doing. During that time, I was, I was not relating to Marco like I normally do. We didn't, we didn't get much chance to be alone. We didn't get much chance to relax and enjoy each other's company. Our interactions were generally brief, and they were generally focused on the logistical details of our family. Right? And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about, where you just barely have time to interact because you're so busy with other things. Now, during that time, did that experience cause me to doubt the reality of my marriage? Not for one minute. Right? Not for one second did I doubt that Marco is my wife. Did it cause me to doubt her love for me? No, I never doubted that. Did it cause my love for her to diminish somewhat? No, it did not. But it, did it make me feel a bit distant from her? Yes, it did. There was a sense of, well, I, I, I know we're living in the same house. I know I see her face pretty regularly, but we're just not walking in the nearness and depth of fellowship that we normally experience. We felt distant. Why? We felt distant because we weren't making it a priority to spend time with each other and to talk with each other like we usually do. And we had all kinds of good reasons for why we weren't doing that. And I am suggesting this morning that the exact same thing happens to you and I in our walk with the Lord, every one of us. When we don't take the time to spend unhurried time with the Lord, to linger in His presence, to enjoy His company, to talk to Him, to listen to Him, well, then we begin to feel distant from Him. And we don't experience His nearness and His comfort in the same way. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that He's not there when we don't feel Him. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it's just our feelings determine whether or not God is near or far. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that we don't experience Him in the same way when we're not walking in nearness to Him through prayerful dependence. And so I want to pull three things out of Psalm 23 that I think can help us with our prayer lives. I first just want to talk about the relationship that we do indeed have with the Lord. And then two things that we can do to deepen and to cultivate that relationship. So the first thing, just looking at the relationship, verses 1 to 3 describe the relationship that David has with the Lord. And it's intimate and it's beautiful. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For His name's sake. Right? That's a relationship. Look at the words David uses. It doesn't say the Lord's a shepherd. He says He's my shepherd. That's personal. My shepherd. Whenever you have a personal relationship, you have to have trust, right? Relationships are founded upon, upon trust. So look at the trust here. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. It doesn't say the Lord's my shepherd, I don't currently have any needs, so I'm happy. 
doesn't say the Lord's my shepherd and I'm doing pretty good right now, so I'll follow him. And then we'll see what tomorrow brings. No, it just says the Lord's my shepherd and therefore I shall not want. Not today, not ever. Because he's taking care of me and because I trust him. And so I know because the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. He is my good shepherd and I trust him not to let me down, not to forget about me, not to lead me astray. That is a personal relationship of trust. It's a relationship in which the shepherd is supplying the needs of the sheep and the sheep are listening to his voice and paying attention to the gentle taps of his crook and following where he leads. And how does he meet our needs? Well, he brings us, it says, to green pastures. He brings us to still waters. He brings us to places that are good for us. He leads me to food and to water. Literally, are we talking about food and water here? Is David making the point that if you follow God, you'll never go hungry? Well, partly I think he is. Remember, God does supply our needs. If our needs are met, we have God to thank for that. But also, remember that this is a poem, and poems contain metaphors. And David is talking about something that is infinitely better than food. The shepherd brings us to a place of spiritual abundance. The shepherd brings us to a place where our soul can rest and be refreshed and be restored. The shepherd leads us to a place where the world cannot touch us. A place where our circumstances cannot rob us of peace. A place where the distractions and temptations of the world won't lure us away from the Savior because he brings us to streams of living water where our souls are refreshed by his presence. Have you ever been, have you been so thirsty, like actually physically so thirsty that you just can't concentrate on anything else? All you can think about is how thirsty you are? I remember I was... Uh, I was digging trenches for doing a water project in Honduras, and I was um, working, we, we all got assigned a, a Honduran partner, I was working with this guy, a little younger than me, his name was Dimas, and uh, I was trying to keep up with him, and I was trying to only take breaks when he took breaks, and the sun was just beating down on us, and I just remember sweat was dripping off my back, down my face, the, the dust from these trenches we're digging, digging is kind of floating up and getting in my throat and I'm breathing it and I just I'm so thirsty and finally we get a break and I go over I pick up my jug of water which has been sitting in the sun by the trench and I take a huge drink and it was supposed to be a refreshing moment I had been fantasizing about this moment for hours and it was not a refreshing moment it, the water was about 40 degrees it tasted like a campfire because it had to be boiled because I'm a gringo and I can't drink the water and, and drinking from a plastic jug of water when I, when I was so thirsty and it's hot, smoky water, it just made me want to gag. It did not refresh me. But I drank it anyway because it's all I had. So the thing that was supposed to satisfy and refresh me did not. But then I look over and I see the fresh, cold, clean spring water that's flowing from the mountain this is the water that we're digging trenches for to pipe it into the village so that the families can have clean water in their homes. And the local Hondurans are drinking this water and they're loving it. They're playing in it. They're drinking it. They're being refreshed by it. I can't drink it because I know it'll make me sick. So I'm stuck 
with my plastic jug of boiling, smoky, hot campfire water to quench my thirst. Now listen, all of our souls, every one of us, I say this with confidence, I don't even know everyone in this room, but I know this, all of our souls are longing to lie down in the green pastures. We want the green pastures. We want the still waters. We hear it, and we know we want it, right? That's, that's why everyone loves Psalm 23. Everyone loves Psalm 23. Not just Christians, not just Jewish people, but everyone does. Why? Because we feel it, right? We see it in our mind, green pastures, still waters. I like that. I want that. We know that it's talking to, it's a metaphor, and it's talking about more than that, and we want that for our souls, But so many people are wanting that and they're stuck with a smoky plastic jug of hot water. And it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't satisfy. And so the good shepherd comes and says, listen, listen, I know where there's a fresh spring. I know where there's green pastures. It will satisfy you. You will love it. You were made for this. Come on. I know where I'm going. Come on. Come with me. I'll take you there. And we hesitate. Many of us hesitate. Wait, you're going to take me there? Why? Why? What's in it for you? What do you want from me in return? What's this going to cost me? Well, where is it? Will I have to give up my jug? I mean, maybe the water's hot and maybe it's smoky, but at least it's mine and I'm holding it. And he knows we're thinking all that. And he says, following me will cost you nothing and it will cost you everything. At the same time. You don't, you don't have to pay anything to drink this water. It's free. It's absolutely free. You can drink all you want. But if I'm going to be your shepherd, if we're, gonna, if we're about to start a shepherd-sheep relationship here, you're going to have to follow me wherever I lead. Because I'm the one that knows where the green pastures are. And that means you're going to have to leave everything behind and follow me. Nothing else can ever be more important to you than I am. And so many people hear that proposition and they look down at their plastic jug and they say, Ah, I think I'll stick with the jug and the hot smoky water. At least it's mine. At least if I stick with this and drink this, then I'm still in charge. I think I'll choose this. So now think about this for a minute. What is your plastic jug? What is something in your life that is keeping you from following where the shepherd leads? What are the things, let me ask very specifically, what are the things in your life that keep you from praying and from developing a deep and intimate relationship with Jesus? Have you put any barriers between yourself and your shepherd? Have you chosen the good over the best? Have you made things in your life more important than spending time with God in prayer. And if you have done that, let me ask you, how's that trade going for you? Is it worth it? See, it's a very particular kind of relationship that God is offering us. It's not a partnership. God doesn't want to be our consultant. We're not peers. We're not co-equals. He's saying, I'm the shepherd. You're the sheep. I lead. You follow. I know where the good grass and water is. You don't. All you have is that jug, which will be pretty empty soon, and then you're going to die of thirst. So are you in or not? 
And if we say yes, if we say yes, that's what I have been longing for my whole life. I want rest for my soul. I want to lie down in green pastures. I want to follow where you lead. Yes, I'm in. Well, that's great. But you cannot make that commitment and then refuse to spend time with the shepherd. You cannot make that commitment to follow the shepherd and then not talk to the shepherd. He is inviting us into a relationship and relationships, by definition, take time to build and to grow. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I know my own and my own know me. My sheep hear my voice. The shepherd goes before them and the sheep follow him and they know his voice. How do you get to the point, that, that level of intimacy with the Savior, that you know His voice, you know the feel of His shepherd's crook when He taps you on the shoulder and He leads you into green pastures by spending time with Him. It really is that simple. Get alone with God, listen to God, and speak to Him. You cannot experience a deep relationship with someone if you don't consistently spend time with them. If we're never quiet and alone with the Lord if we haven't made a practice of cultivating that relationship, then why are we surprised when he doesn't feel near or real? If I'm so busy, or if prayer is so boring, that I can't carve out time in my busy daily schedule to spend time with God Almighty, well then why would I expect to have a deeply personal and intimate relationship with him? That's the only way you get to experience a deep and intimate relationship by spending time together, by logging hours together, by relating and communicating, listening and speaking, sharing joys and concerns. All relationships work that way. You cannot give yourself only partly to your spouse or to your friends and hold back the best bits of, your part of yourself for yourself and expect to have a thriving and deeply personal relationship. And it is the same way with God. All right, so I'm just going to pull out now two guidelines, two things that can help us deepen our prayer life, taken from Psalm 23, and then we'll close. The first thing that you can, that it, it can encourage you to deepen your relationship with the Lord through prayer is to be reminded and to cultivate a constant awareness of our absolute and total dependence on God. That'll get us to pray if we're aware of that. If only we could recognize that. Right? There's nothing like being in the valley of the shadow of death to light a fire under your prayer life, right? You've been there, right? We cry out to God from the valley. We say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm totally overwhelmed. I'm totally over my head here. I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what's going to happen. Now I have absolutely nowhere else to go, so I'm crying out to you. And so often it's right there in that moment that we experience the exact thing that the psalmist says in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. And I know it and I feel it. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's usually when we're most aware of our dependence that we're most likely to cry out to God. And it's often in those moments that we feel closest to God. We feel the rod and the staff and they comfort us. 
So you and I need to learn to recognize that no matter what our circumstances, we are constantly and completely dependent on God. Whether we feel like we're in the valley or not, all the time, we are totally dependent on God. And if we were only able to see that and to feel the weight of our desperate need for God in all things, we'd pray more. I know we would. Being more aware of our dependence on God would drive us to prayer. It would bring us to green pastures and still waters, and it would refresh our souls. And the fact that we don't pray more is an indicator that we haven't really understood how desperate we are. And I pray that God would break us of that, would break me of that, so that we could experience the soul-refreshing pasture and the water of complete dependence on God. All right, here's the second thing to help us cultivate our relationship with God through prayer. Okay, the first one is remember your absolute dependence on God. But secondly, remember God's promises to you. Surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a promise. If God is simply the divine lawgiver, then there's no need to develop a relationship with him. You don't form a relationship with a legal code. Right? If the main point of the Bible is do this stuff and don't do that stuff, well, well, then fine, let's all do our best to obey it, and let's get rid of this talk about having a personal relationship with God. But the true God is a relational God who sends goodness and mercy to follow us all the days of our lives. I'm so glad that verse does not say, surely laws and retribution will follow me all the days of my life. It doesn't say that. It says that the Lord's my shepherd. He's in front of me. And goodness and mercy are coming up from behind. And surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the God we relate to in prayer. He has created us to be dependent on Him. He has promised to provide us with everything we need for all of eternity. And we are invited to spend time with Him and to draw near to Him in prayer. So why doesn't God give us everything we ask for, even though He is powerful enough to do it? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that sometimes the answer to our prayers isn't a yes or a no. But it is a simple reminder from God, spoken by His Spirit to our spirit, that He is with us and that He loves us. And that everything ultimately will be well. And that's enough. Those are the green pastures that He leads us into if we will follow Him there through prayer. Let's pray together. Dear God, it's very, very easy to talk about prayer. It can be hard to do it. It's, it's obvious how important and necessary prayer is for our health and spiritual well-being. And that's one thing to affirm that, but it can be hard to find time to do it. It's hard to find time to do it because we're busy and things feel pressing. And they are pressing. And it's easy to displace prayer because it doesn't feel pressing and because sometimes it feels boring. It's hard to know what to say. And as a result, when we forsake prayer, you feel far. You're not far, you're near, you've promised that, but you feel far when we don't engage you in prayer. And so I pray for all of us, each one of us, 
that we would grow and mature in our prayer life, that we would find deep joy and satisfaction in crying out to you and in listening to you and in being still before you and in waiting on you and bringing our cares to you and bringing our requests to you, resting in your presence, experiencing the green pastures and the still waters. I pray that you would enable us to experience all the blessing and all the goodness all the mercy and all the grace that you have for us in this relationship that you've invited us into. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.